Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to again study his words and his commandments, which is our daily food, our nourishment for our faith so that we can be strong and overcome the enemy of our faith, which is the topic of our studies today. It's not really about Jeroboam, but it's about Satan, who is the true enemy and adversary of our faith. What he wants to do is to destroy the faith of the people of God because he knows when he is able to destroy the faith of the people of God, Yahuwah is grieved and we are prevented from receiving the promised salvation in our permanent home in the kingdom of heaven. Because he knows he has limited time left, he's going to do his best to seek out people to destroy, destroy their faith, and consequently destroy their salvation. The reason why we're going to study about Jeroboam is because of what Jeroboam did and what the people who believed Jeroboam also did. And so we will look at that so that we can learn lessons from the life of Jeroboam and others so that we can protect ourselves from the attack of the adversary. So let's begin our studies here in the book of Timothy, chapter 4, 1 down to 2. What is the work of the devil today? This is what it says in Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. And so what is the objective of the devil? What he wants us to do is to turn away from the true faith. Now, before anyone can turn away from the true faith, he needs to first obtain or live by that faith in the first place. This is why it's called apostasy. It is the people of God. When the people of God who were already given the true faith are practicing the true faith, and then all of a sudden they fall from that faith, apostasy. This is the work of the enemy because he targets the people of Allahim. He's targeting you and I. This is why we need to learn to protect ourselves so that we don't end up falling away from the true faith. So how does the devil do that? How does he destroy our faith? Let's read the book of John, chapter 8, verse 44. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. According to scriptures, we have to be careful with the work of the devil because the way by which he destroys our faith or causes us to fall away from faith is by causing us to believe in his lies. Because when we believe in his lies, we no longer live according to our faith. Why is that? Well, what's the basis of our faith? What is it? What's the foundation and basis of our faith? Is it not the words of Yahuwah Abba? Is it not our faith in our Christ Yahushua? Because the Bible speaks of Yahushua. And so the Bible is our basis and our belief in Yahushua. And so when we begin to end up believing in something contrary to scriptures, what happens? The devil wins. Because when we, when we begin to believe in a lie, it ruins our faith until it ruins us. In this sense, we were murdered by him. This is what the Bible says 
that Satan, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. Because who was his first victims here on earth? Was it not Adam and Eve? And so that's what he wants to do. He wants to convince us by deception the same way he deceived Eve and Adam. And so what he wants us to do is to believe in his lies. Now, you might say, I'll never believe in the lies of Satan. I don't believe in UFOs. I don't believe in the Ouija board. I don't believe in Halloween. I don't believe in de uh, demonic, demonic activities. I will not participate in dark magic or the occult. Well, that's good. Because there are some people who practice all of that. And so it's a good thing that we know where to draw the line, right? However, we have to understand that Satan is very deceptive. And what he does is to use both overt and covert deceptions. What is overt deception? Witchcraft, sorcery, black magic, the occult. It's overt. People know it's satanic and do it nonetheless. This is why we're not surprised even today there are churches of Shatan. <laughs> They go to San Francisco, there's a church of Satan there. And so there, there's a way by which the devil is able to overtly deceive people. But his most practiced tool, his most used strategy is not overt, but what? Covert uh, deceptions. You see, the best lies are lies that are almost true. It sounds true. This is why we have to be careful with famous quotes from different people, different lines of uh, uh, different walks of life who put quotes out there. Because, you know, when Facebook and social media, we like to post quotes. And sometimes we read a quote and we like it and we think it's true. But we have to be careful because the best lies are the ones that are almost true. And if you believe that lie, slowly but surely, it's going to cause you to fall away from the faith. Remember, falling away from the faith can be gradual. As a matter of fact, most of the time it is. It can happen in an instant, right? But oftentimes, falling away from the faith is a gradual, a gradual occurrence. It may take months or years and years and years. Like our children, for example, they're bombarded with information about evolution, right? From elementary school junior high school, high school, college. And so slowly they're stopping to believe in the gospel, in the Bible, and then they reject God. Isn't this a problem that many young people today have? I mean, there are many people today who reject Yahuwah, who reject God because of evolution, right? And so it gradually led them to fall away from the faith. The best lies are lies that are almost true. So you begin to accept it without realizing it's a lie. And then that lie begins to germinate. That seed that is a lie that was planted long ago, it begins to influence your thinking until such a point where you actually begin to fall away from the faith. This is why we have to be careful. We have to be vigilant, right? We have to know how to defend and protect our hearts so that we don't end up falling away from the faith. Now you might say, I'll never fall away from the faith. But take a look at what the Bible says here. In 2 Kings 10, 30 to 31, Yahuwah said to Jehu, you have done to Ahab's descendants everything I wanted you to do. So I promise you that your descendants down to the fourth generation will be kings of Israel. But Jehu 
did not obey with all his heart the law of Yahuwah, the God of Israel. Instead, he followed the examples of Jeroboam who led Israel into sin. And so here we have two examples of people appointed and chosen by God. And so they started out well, right? Who are they? Jehu and Jeroboam. Well, what does the Bible say about Jehu? He did not obey with all his heart the law of Yahuwah. Instead, he followed whose example? Jeroboam. Jeroboam, who led Israel into sin. This is why we're going to study about Jeroboam, but not really Jeroboam himself. But what happened in during the days of Jeroboam, who led Israel into sin? You see, when we think when we think about people falling into apostasy, um, if it's one individual, we get it. But if it's a whole people falling into apostasy, what does that mean? There's something demonic there, right? We need to understand what happened to protect the assembly because we don't want what happened to the people of Israel to happen to us. Started with Jeroboam, and then it affected Jehu, and then it affected also the people of Israel. So we're going to study today how deception takes place, how three men of God fell from faith. One is Solomon, one is Jeroboam, and one who is unnamed, but is referred to the Bible by the man of God. <laughs> we don't know the name, but it's called the man of God. We're going to talk about these three individuals and see how the devil tries to convince us to adopt a lie, to believe a lie, to reject the words of Yahuwah Abba and the, or the word of God. Let's begin with Solomon. What happened to Solomon? Let's read the book of First uh, Kings 11, 4 to 6. In Solomon's old age, uh, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to Yahuwah his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in Yahuwah's sight. He refused to follow Yahuwah completely as his father David had done. According to what we read, what happened to Solomon? Solomon turned his heart to worship other gods. He became evil in the eyes of Yahuwah. Do you still remember who Solomon was? Was he an instrument of Yahuwah? Yes, Yahuwah handpicked him to be the one to complete the temple and to dedicate the temple to Yahuwah. Yahuwah asked Solomon when he was young to, to, that Yahuwah would give him anything his heart desires. Do you still remember what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom to be able to discern the will of Yahuwah Abba so that he can govern and administer his people well. And so Yahuwah was pleased with that. And so he blessed Solomon with wisdom because of his wisdom, he became famous. Became famous, he became successful. The people of Israel became wealthy. The people of Israel became famous because of the leadership of Solomon. And then all of a sudden, at the peak of his powers during his prime, what happened to Solomon? He fell from his faith. And what happened? What caused him to turn his heart against Yahuwah and to worship other gods? We read four to six. Let's read one to three. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women 
Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. Yahuwah had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from Yahuwah. Remember what Yahuwah said about Solomon? He did not completely obey me the way David had done. You see, this is what the devil does. He looks for our weakness. And from that weakness, he will cause us to fall into a vice, right? Because all of us have weaknesses. The devil's going to look for your weakness, and he's going to use that against you. This is why we have to be vigilant. He saw the weakness of Solomon. What was that? Women, right? Women was his weakness. So he obeyed the other commands, but not the command that says, do not marry them. Yahuwah made it clear to him and to the people of Israel, do not marry the pagans in the land. But Solomon insisted that he would marry them anyways, right? So that was his vice. He disregarded the, the words of God. And this is called the desires of the flesh. This is called the desires of our sinful nature. And we all have a sinful nature that makes us vulnerable to sin, right? What are examples of this sinful nature? Let's read the book of Galatians 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, while parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. What are examples of lustful desires or desires of the sinful nature? Bible mentions sexual immorality, selfish ambition, outbursts of anger, uh, envy, drunkenness, and the like, right? And so when people engage their sinful nature and the desires of their sinful nature, guess what? They begin to be careless when it comes to the word of God, right? They will look for a way to make an excuse not to obey the word of God. That's how powerful the desire of the sinful nature is. This is why even the Apostle Peter warns us about what the sinful nature, the desires of men, have control over huma humanity that cause people to reject the word of God. In the book of 2 Peter 3, 3 to 4, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Yahushua is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. According to Apostle Peter, during the last day, scoffers will come. What does it mean to scoff at something? To mock at something. What will they mock? They will mock the promise of Yahuwah. What is this promise of Yahuwah? It is the day when Yahushua returns, the day of Yahuwah, the day of our Almighty Elohim, which is our deliverance, our salvation. 
It's been promised long ago, it will come, but it hasn't come yet. And so what do people do? They mock the promise of Yahuwah. They mock the teachings of Yahusha. But do you know what the real reason why they mock it? Apostle Peter reveals it. He exposes it, right? What drives a human being to really reject the truth, even though deep inside he knows it's true? You know what it is that drives him? Why they mock it? Because they want to follow their own desires. You see, people are willing and they want to be lied to when the lie is going to allow them to carry out their own desires. You see, people today, they would rather believe in, an, in a convenient lie than believe in the truth that will cause them to have to change their lifestyle. This is why people today are clamoring, right? Homosexual marriage, abortion. They want, you know, abortion. It's because they want to live according to their desires instead of submitting to the will of Yahuwah. And so what happens is when people begin to engage their sensual and their fleshly, or sinful human desires, it makes them willing to believe a lie. They're looking for someone to lie to them and say to them, you know what, homosexuality is natural, it's okay. They're looking for someone who will tell them, you know what, it's okay to have many wives, you know? And so what happens is when people desire to believe a lie, because when they believe that lie, it gives them permission to live according to their flesh. And so this is what the devil knows. He knows human nature. And so he capitalizes on that. But what happened to Solomon, despite the fact he was the one who dedicated the temple to Yahuwah God. In 1 Kings 11, Yahuwah was very angry with Solomon for his heart turned away from Yahuwah, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to Yahuwah's command. So now Yahuwah said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. It's interesting because it started out with his sinful human desire, right? He did not check that. He did not attend to that. And it became worse. It became idolatry. Not only did he worship false gods, he created temples for his false gods. This is why, brothers and sisters, we have to be careful with our human weaknesses. Sometimes when we get angry, when we become bitter, when we become envious, when we become hateful, because the sinful human desire is not just sexual. Human uh, sinful desires is about getting revenge about being wrathful, about being bitter, about being hateful. When you are engaging that part of your humanity, it leads you to forget the commands of God. It leads you to break the other commands of God. It's like a domino effect. It's what happened to Solomon. He could not control his loss. He could not control his human desires. And so what happened? It led to idolatry. And because of this, Yahuwah said, because you did not listen to my commands, I will tear that kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Is he going to be saved? We don't know. Probably not. 
but it's up to Yahuwah, not us. Nevertheless, that's the story of Solomon. He fell from the truth. He rejected the word of God, the truth of God, because he catered, he fell because he nurtured that sinful human desire. So that's Solomon. Next we go to Jeroboam. Remember when Yahuwah said to Solomon, I'm going to give uh, the kingdom to one of your servants. Well, who could that servant be? Let's find out. First Kings 11. Another rebel leader was Jeroboam, son of Nebat, one of Solomon's own officials. He came from the town of Zeradah in Ephraim, and his mother was Zeruah, a widow. This is the story behind his rebellion. Solomon was rebuilding uh, the supporting terraces and repairing the walls of the city of his father David. Jeroboam was a very capable young man, and when Solomon saw how industrious he was, he put him in charge of the labor force from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph. So who was Jeroboam? He was one of Solomon's own officials, but he was very capable. He was industrious. And so Solomon appointed him to be in charge of the labor force. And so Solomon took notice of this person, Jeroboam, because he was a hard worker. He excelled in what he did. He was good at what he did. And so Solomon made him one of his officials. And what happened to Jeroboam one day? In the book of 1 Kings 11, 29, one day as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh met him along the way. Ahijah was wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in the field, and Ahijah took hold of the, of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, take 10 of these pieces, for this is what Yahuwah, the God of Israel, says, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give 10 of the tribes to you, but I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. And so here's uh, Jeroboam. We know he's a very capable and ambitious young fellow. And so he's climbing up the ladder, so to speak. And we can probably relate to Jeroboam. Many people today are probably hard workers and driven. And they want to work hard to be noticed and to be ambitious, right? And Jeroboam was one of them. And so one day, he gets a visit from a prophet. What's the prophet's name? Ahijah. What does Ahijah say? He gives Jeroboam a message from Yahuwah. What is that? That he will give Jeroboam, an ambitious fellow, 10 tribes to rule. In other words, he will be king of Israel, except, of course, for the tribe of Judah. It will remain to be headed by someone from the uh, from the line from from Judah or from Jerusalem because he wanted to keep Jerusalem, which is his chosen place, right? And so he's gonna basically divide the kingdom of Israel. There will be the ten tribes of Israel, right, and the other two, which would be Judah and Benjamin. Okay, and so the Bible says he's going to make Jeroboam the king of the ten tribes. Wow, I wonder what, what he was feeling. 
you could probably imagine his eyes sparkling, right? Oh, he's going to be king. He's not just an official of Saul. He's going to be king of the 10 tribes of Israel. And so what did, when, what's this going to take place according to the message of Yahuwah? Uh, 34, 36, but I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time. For the sake of my servant David, the one whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees, I will keep Solomon as leader for the rest of his life. But I will take the kingdom away from his son and give ten of tribes to you. His son will have one tribe so that the descendants of David, my servant, will continue to reign. Shining like a lamp in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen to be the place for my name. So when was this prophecy going to be fulfilled? The splitting up of the kingdom of Israel and ten to be given to Jeroboam and the other basically Judah to be given uh, to a descendant of David. Well, the Bible says this is going to happen when Solomon dies for the sake of his servant David, who says, I'm going to let Solomon live out his life. But once he dies, you're going to see the prophecy fulfilled, right? And the throne will be given to Jeroboam. And what promise did Yahuwah give to Jeroboam? Look at this. And I will place you on the throne of Israel, and you will rule over all that your heart desires. If you listen to what I tell you and follow my ways and do whatever I consider to be right, and if you obey my decrees and commands as my servant David did, then I will always be with you. I will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. My goodness, that is an awesome, magnificent promise. Can you imagine Jeroboam receiving something so great when before he was just a mere servant? He was a nobody. And from a nobody, Yahuwah gives him this promise. Yahuwah says to him, I will place you on the throne of Israel. Not only that, if you listen and, you know, and be careful in doing my ways and doing my doctrines and doing what is considered to be right in Yahuwah's eyes, Yahuwah says, I'm going to be always with you. Not only that, I'm going to build a dynasty around you. Can you imagine that? That's a nice promise. I don't know what Jeroboam was feeling, but the key, the key for him to remain on the throne and to be blessed by who is what? Obedience, right? Obedience, careful obedience. And this is what the devil wants to attack. He wants to cause us to be careless in our obedience because once we become careless in our obedience, what happens? We begin to fall. We begin to drift away from the true faith. And so what happened when Solomon found out about this prophecy concerning Jeroboam? Well, what do you think Solomon is going to try to do? <laughs> there's, going to, there's competition in his throne. What, is it, what do you think he's going to do? Solomon, let's find out. In 40 to 43, Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam. Hmm. <laughs> Does it sound familiar? Wasn't it the same Saul who was trying to kill David? Now it's Solomon, the son of David, trying to kill Jeroboam. But he fled to King Shishak of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. The rest of the events in Solomon's reign, including all his deeds and his wisdom, are recorded in the book of the Acts of Solomon, 
Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. When he died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father. Then his son Rehoboam became the next king. So here's Solomon, he's dying, he's gonna, uh, he dies. And so the next king is his son, what's his name? Rehoboam. And so the prophecy of Yahuwah has not yet been fulfilled. It's about to be fulfilled because he just died, right? And so after his death, the one who ascended to the throne was his son, Rehoboam. And so when Rehoboam ascended to the throne, what happened? What did Israel do? Let's read 12, 1 to 4. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, then, he will, then we will be your loyal subjects. So here were, were the Israelites. Rehoboam went to Shechem and expecting Israel to make him king, accept him as their king. But before that, they presented a problem that they had with his father, Solomon, who had labor, who was pretty harsh with his labor demands and also levied very heavy taxes. And so they were telling this new king, Rehoboam, to lighten these demands, right? To lessen these taxes. And they said to Rehoboam, we're going to be your loyal subjects if you will listen to this. And so what does Rehoboam reply? Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over. Then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, then they will always be your loyal subjects. Sounds like good advice, doesn't it? Not surprisingly, this was these were the advisors of Solomon. And so by experience, they gained more wisdom. And so these older men gave wise advice to Rehoboam, which was to do what the servants were requesting so that they can so that he can have their loyalty, which would be good for the entire kingdom. But Rehoboam, instead of making a decision, according to the advice of the older men, what did he do instead? Well, in 8 to 11, but Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. He wanted the new gen advisors, not the old gen. <laughs> he wanted new thinking, new age thinking. And so what is your advice? Yes. Yes, then. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? A young man replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. My goodness. These people who were oppressed, asking for relief, Instead of giving relief, what does Rehoboam intend to do to make it even oppressive, more oppressive 
than it was before. That's what he intended to say uh, to the people of Israel. And so what happened after that? Well, three days after Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Jeroboam, uh, Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions, exactly as he rehearsed. He delivered to the people of Israel. And so what did the people of Israel uh, say? Uh, well, what, what happened? So the king paid no attention to the people. And you know, when the king does not pay attention to the people he serves, he's becoming a tyrant, a dictator. Right, A king ought to be listening to the needs of his people. That's a good king. A good king does not disregard the needs and cries of his people. He responds to them. And so the king does not pay attention. This turn of events was the will of Yahuwah. For it fulfilled Yahuwah's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes of Israel. Look out for your own house, O David, so the people of Israel return home. And so after this disheartening message from King Rehoboam, the people of Israel, they rejected Rehoboam. They said, we don't want to be your servants. We don't accept you as king. And so they went back home to Israel. And what did they do? Well, let's read in 20 to 21, when the people of Israel learned of Jeroboam's return from Egypt, they called an assembly and made him king over all Israel. So only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the family of David. When Rehoboam arrived at Jerusalem, he mobilized the men of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 select troops to fight against the men of Israel and to restore the kingdom to himself. And so when the people of Israel went back to their homes and they found and they decided to make Jeroboam the king, that was what was fulfilled. The prophecy that Jehovah gave to Ahijah, right? The prophecy that was given to Jeroboam. So now he is king of the ten tribes, and only the house of David, the tribe of Judah, remained loyal to the family of David. And throw in, as an addition, Benjamin also. So it was Judah and Benjamin who, were, who was loyal to Rehoboam. And we have uh, Jeroboam who had the other ten tribes. So what do we have with the kingdom of Israel? It was split. Whose will was this? Yahuwah. Why? Because of his punishment for what Solomon had done. Right? And so this was the consequence of his sins. And so we see here the split of the kingdom. Israel and Judah. The new king of Israel was Jeroboam. But Jeroboam, although he started out as basically a nobody, right? now he's going to become the king. Not only that, he has the promise of Yahuwah that he, he will be careful in obeying his commands. He's going to succeed. And Yahuwah is going to make a dynasty out of him, right? And so he had that going uh, for him. Um, and so because he was 
Now the king of Israel, Rehoboam, would not leave this without fighting back. He wants to regain the loyalty of the 10 tribes. So what did he do? He sent an army to try and fight against the men of Israel and restore the kingdom himself. And so when he went to do this, what happened? But God said to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what Yahuwah says. Do not fight against your relatives, the Israelites. Go back home for what has happened is my doing. So they obeyed the message of Yahuwah and went home as Yahuwah had commanded. So as the troops sent by Rehoboam was about to go and fight against the Israelites, the ten tribes, Shemaiah, the man of God, was sent prophet with a message. And this message was for all the people, especially the people of Rehoboam. What do you say? He says, do not fight against your relatives, Israelites, because this is my doing. It was his will to have the kingdom split into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom composed of 10 tribes led by who? Jeroboam, the southern kingdom led by Rehoboam and his two tribes, Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So what we can see here, Jeroboam, he had a fantastic start, like Solomon, right? Jeroboam was chosen and appointed by Yahuwah to be king of Israel. And so Solomon, Jeroboam, both loved by Yahuwah, both chosen by Yahuwah, both appointed by Yahuwah. Question is, do they stay in that appointed place? Because many people today, sometimes we become too complacent. We say to ourselves, oh, it'll never happen to me. I will never fall, right? I'm safe. I'm not going to be deceived by the devil. I'm good. Solomon? I mean, who are we compared to Solomon? Who are we compared to Jeroboam? Yet Solomon fell. How about Jeroboam? He was handpicked by Yahuwah. He was given a precious promise by Yahuwah. What happened to him? Let's read 25 to 27. Jeroboam then built up the city of Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and it became his capital. Later, he went and built up the town of Peniel. Notice that he's building these uh, building projects. Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I am careful, I'm pause it for a while, is it good to be careful? Yeah, it's good to be careful, right? Well, here's my question. What is the purpose of you being careful? Why are you careful? Take a look, because this tells a lot about Jeroboam. I want you to look. Unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of Yahuwah, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make him their king instead. And so when the Bible says, or when Jeroboam says, I'm careful, what was he careful about? Protecting his title. He was not careful about obeying the will of Yahuwah. You notice how when a person is entitled with something, you're giving a promotion, you're given an office, sometimes it gets into their head and they're more concerned about keeping that title than they are keeping the word of Yahuwah. Jeroboam, he was concerned, he was careful, but not about fulfilling the commands of Yahuwah, but by preserving his title. Why was he concerned? 
What was he thinking? Well, he knows, as well as all the people of Israel know, three, three times a year, they're going to have to make a pilgrimage to where? Jerusalem. So they're all going to go from Shechem. They're all going to go from Israel, northern, the northern areas of Israel. And they're going to venture south to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate the feasts, right? They're going to give their offerings there in the temple in Jerusalem. And so when they worship, they're going to go to Jerusalem. It was still the place of worship, right? And so what was his fear? If the people of Israel would go to Jerusalem, oh, they're going to end up hating, loving Rehoboam and start hating me. They will kill me and make him their king instead. And so instead of uh, holding on to the promise of Yahuwah, he imagined his worst fears. You know, sometimes when we imagine our worst fears, we just have to rethink and remember and hold on to the promise of Yahuwah. What was that promise of Yahuwah? If you're careful in obeying my commands and my words, you're going to succeed. And I'm going to make a dynasty out of you, right? But because of his fear, he imagined the worst and he stopped believing in Yahuwah. And the devil knows this. Sometimes when we are afraid, we begin to forget about the will of Yahuwah, the commands of Yahuwah. We become more open to adopting his lies. And this is more so true when a person's intent and motivation is not to please Yahuwah, but to please himself. You see, Jeroboam cared more about his title than he was about the words of Yahuwah. For him, what was more important was his title than the work and the words of Yahuwah Abba. And this is true even with a lot of people today, right? Many people today, they're not really interested in worship. They're not really interested in obeying the commands of God. What are they interested in? They're more interested in building their power, making a name for themselves, promoting themselves, right? Yahuwah says to the people of God, after the flood, they are to spread out. That's the command. What did they do instead? They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that, they, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so what did the people decide to do instead of obeying the will of Yahuwah to scatter? They wanted to build a tower in a city for themselves so that they can make a name for themselves. In other words, they wanted to be famous. So they were promoting self. And when you begin to promote self, you begin to disregard the will of Abba. You begin to forget Yahuwah Abba. And so you begin to drift away from the faith. It's what happened to Jeroboam. It's what happened also to Adam and Eve. They became complacent. They wanted to know more. They were not content with the Garden of Eden, so they wanted more. They wanted to have their eyes open. They wanted wisdom. They wanted to be like God. And so the serpent comes in, deceives them according to their human desire. And so that is what happened. And so our King Yahushua tells us, if we are to be true disciples, if we are to be true servants of Yahuwah, what must we do? In the book of Matthew 16, 24 to 25, then Yahushua said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So our king himself tells us, 
our purpose as followers of Yahuwah, as the people of God, should not be self-promotion, right? It should not be to promote our name. Instead, it is to deny self. You cannot be a disciple of Yahushua unless we deny self. But when we promote self, what happens? We're not willing to make sacrifices anymore. What we are going to do is to begin to believe in the lies that will allow us to keep our titles that will promote self. And so if we want to be a true disciple, if we want to be a true son and daughter of Yahuwah, we need to begin by denying self and seeking above all things, the will of Yahuwah. Abba. And so here's the king, Jeroboam, his mind was already warped because of his heart, right? He was not interested at all in Yahuwah. He was only interested in himself. And so what happens to him? What did he begin to do? Let's read. Now look at this. So on the advice of his counselors, the king made two gold calves. He said to the people, is it too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem? Look, Israel. These are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan at either end of his kingdom. But this became a great sin for the people worshiped the idols, traveling as far north as Dan to worship the one there. What did this king Jeroboam do to prevent the people from going to Jerusalem to receive the true word of God and to worship God? What did they do? They built their own. You see that? What was their purpose? So that they can remain with them. They, he didn't want the people to go to Jerusalem and find out more about the truth of God. He wanted to keep them prisoners. Let's stay here. And so what did he do? He built gold, two golden calves. Two golden calves. Can you imagine? After all this time, you would have thought, they were already over this desire for idolatry, for golden images. But for some reason, he was, he was able to do that. You know who is behind all of that? I believe it's the devil. You see, Jeroboam opened himself to the influence of demons, of Shatan, the adversary. Because he was not careful with his heart. And so when he became under the influence of the devil, what did he do? He made two gold calves to worship. And he told Israel, do not go to Jerusalem anymore. Just stay here. Worship here. Here are two golden calves, one in Bethel, one in Dan. What else did he do? Jeroboam also erected buildings at the pagan shrines and ordained priests from the common people. Those who were not from the priestly tribe of Levi. What else did he do? <laughs> he erected structures so that uh, people can stay there and worship instead of going to Jerusalem, right? He wanted to keep them happy. You can be happy here. After all, you're a trapped audience, <laughs> right? And just stay here. Don't listen to them. You don't have to. You can just stay here and listen to us. And so he built pagan shrine. Well, who's going to teach us there? Who's going to teach us here? Well, yeah, there's no Levites here, but guess what? We're going to make the common people priests, right? And so they will teach themselves. And so that's what he did. Instead of following the will of Yahuwah, that the priests will come from the tribe of Levi, even the common people can now become priests. 
This was during the days of Jeroboam. What else did he do? Let's read 32 or 33. And Jeroboam instituted a religious festival in Bethel, held on the 15th day of the eighth month, in imitation of the annual festival of shelters in Judah. There at Bethel, he himself offered sacrifices to the calves he had made, and he appointed priests for the pagan shrines he had made. So on the 15th day of the eighth month, a day that he himself had designated, Jeroboam offered sacrifices on the altar at Bethel. He instituted a religious festival for Israel, and he went up to the altar to burn incense. You know that? He invented his own feasts. And the feast he tried to imitate, the feast of shelters in Judah. You notice the difference? Instead of the seventh month, it's the eighth month. So you, they have a seventh month. We will have an eighth month. <laughs> Ours is better. Right? Because we have more followers. You know why? Because after all, they had 10 tribes. <laughs> Ours is better than the one over there. Ours is the eighth month. And so he imitated what the people in Judah were doing. He imitated them, right? But all against the will of Yahuwah. You see, what was, when Jeroboam was so enamored by his title, right? It begins to warp your thinking. When people seek after titles and power, they end up twisting the words of Yahuwah to support their agenda. Jeroboam had his own agenda. And so he wanted to imitate, you know, what was being done by the people there in Judah because he felt threatened and he wanted to keep his title and his power. But what's amazing, you know, I mean, it, it was really amazing, this transformation of Jeroboam from this person appointed by Yahuwah to this person who desecrates the commands and the feasts of Yahuwah, Right? I mean, he was what he was doing was really literally preventing the people of Israel from worship. He tried to stop them from worship, basically, right? He opposed worship, he didn't want them to assemble in Jerusalem. So he tried to stop them. What is amazing, what was amazing is these people of Israel, they believed him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Think about it. Here's Jeroboam, because he opened his heart to the enemy. His thinking became warped because of his pride and his desire to exalt himself. He becomes the victim of the enemy, the devil. But how about all the people of Israel? He convinced all the people of Israel to believe that the, the God who delivered them from Egypt were these two calves, golden calves. He convinced them to believe that a common person can be a Levite. He convinced them to believe that they can worship in their own shrine, in their own place. He convinced them to believe that there's this new feast that Yahuwah has established. It makes us want to ask the question, how are the people of Israel convinced to believe a lie? Right? How are they all convinced? I think you kind of saw the answer because I already read the, the passage. You know what the answer is? Do you know why the people of Israel was so ready to buy into that lie that was preached and presented by the king, King Jeroboam. You know why? I want to go back to 20, uh, verse 12, 28 to 30. It says, it is too much trouble for you to worship in 
Jerusalem. He's telling the people of Israel, if you're still going to worship the way Yahuwah wants to be worshipped, you're going to travel all the way to Jerusalem? That's expensive, time-consuming. It's not convenient. Just stay here. It's more convenient. Do you see the pattern? Satan capitalizes on the person's lack of desire to sacrifice. Person prefers convenience over what? Sacrifice. Am I right? The people of Israel. You would ask them, do you want to travel all the way to Jerusalem? They might say, no, there's a better way. Although they don't believe it's true because it was so convenient, they begin to convince themselves it's true. This is what a lot of people do today. When they're presented with a lie that makes that is convenient and makes them want to, it makes their life easier, they want to believe that. People like to be lied to. People like to be lied to when the lie will cause them to become more, to, to have a, a life that's more convenient for them, right? It's easy for people to believe a lie. It makes things more convenient for them. This is why we need to be careful and we need to be very, very vigilant concerning this. And so that's why all the people of Israel, they were convinced to buy that lie in the name of convenience, okay? And so let's go down to the man of God. And so here's Jeroboam. He created his own religion, right? With his own gods, his own way of worship. He, can, he established his own. And so what happened? Take a look, 13. At Jehovah's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel. And so this man of God was not from the tribes of Israel. He's from the tribe of Judah, right? He's from Judah. Arriving there, uh, just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. Wait a minute. Jeroboam is burning incense? He's a king, not a priest. <laughs> you see what he's taking for himself? He's become so warped, he disregards completely the ways and the will of Yahuwah. Then at Yahuwah's command, he shouted, O altar, O altar, this is what Yahuwah says, a child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David, and you he will sacrifice, and on you he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines who come here to burn incense, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the men of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said, Yahuwah has promised to give this sign. This altar will split apart, and its ashes will be poured out on the ground. This is interesting. And so here's Jeroboam, who received the promise of Yahuwah, that he will succeed. And his children will be the next dynasty of kings. But because he rejected Yahuwah and installed false gods and false worship and disregarded the commands of Abba, Yahuwah is going to destroy him. This is why this man of God, a prophet, comes to the, the altar and gives him a prophecy. This is an interesting prophecy because it was fulfilled in Josiah, who is not a king of Israel, but the king of Judah. And so the king of Judah, or Josiah, some 260 years later, it's not going to be fulfilled. I mean, he wasn't even born yet. But then he, he gives the name of Josiah. This is a very interesting prophecy because the man was not even born yet. It will, it will not be fulfilled until 260 years later. 
right? Because all these kings of Israel, they would, none of them would dare undo what Jeroboam did. This is why Yahuwah said this man, the sin of this man, Jeroboam, affected all of Israel. So what Jeroboam started was not undone by Israel. This is why eventually they were taken to captivity in Assyria. It all started because of Jeroboam. This is why Jeroboam singles him out as the man who caused Israel to commit sin. So Yahuwah says, time will come when someone from Judah, child in Judah, from the dynasty of David, right? He's going to be the one to destroy these shrines. And this was fulfilled, in fact, in the days of Josiah. And so here's his prophet, and he's making this prophecy. And to give a sign that this prophecy will be fulfilled, something's going to happen to the altar. It will split apart. Its ashes will be poured out on the ground. Is that what happened? Let's read 4 to 5. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, he pointed at him and shouted, seize that man. But instantly, the king's hand became paralyzed in that position, and he could not pull it back. At the same time, a white crack appeared in the altar, and the ashes poured out, just as the man of God had predicted in his message from Yahuwah. And so when Jeroboam heard this man speaking against the altar, he became upset and tried to kill him. He said, seize this man. But when he pointed at him, to say, seize that man, what happened to his hand? It became paralyzed because he was speaking against the prophet of God, who was speaking the truth as commanded by Yahuwah. And so when he was speaking against his prophet, he was really speaking against Yahuwah because he, what he carried, what he preached was the message of Yahuwah. And so what happened to his hand? He was paralyzed. And so what did the king do? The king cried out to the man of God, please ask Yahuwah, your God, to restore my hand again. I'm kapal, no? <laughs> That's Tagalog. What does that mean in English? I'm kapal, no? He's got... <laughs> yeah, he's really full of himself. Please ask Yahuwah, your God, to restore my hand again. So the man of God prayed to Yahuwah, and the king's hand was restored, and he could move it again. Can you imagine <laughs> He was merciful, isn't he? Right? And this man, this man of God, is powerful. Right? He has authority from Yahuwah. And so he cries to Yahuwah, and immediately his hand was restored. And so what did the king do? Uh, then the king said to the man of God, come to the palace with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God said to the king, even if you gave me half, of everything you own. I would not go with you. I would not eat or drink anything in this place. For Yahuwah gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything. While you are there. And do not return to Judah. By the same way you came. So he left Bethel. And went home another way. And so the king knew that this man. Was really a man of God. Because of what happened. He was a true prophet. And so what did the king do? He invited him. So that he can give him a gift. And give him something to eat. What did, the, what did the man of God say? Man of God said, I can't do that because Yahuwah gave me a command, which is twofold. What was the twofold command of Yahuwah that he gave to this man of God? Number one, do not eat anything while you are there in Israel. Do not eat anything. Number two, uh, do not return to Judah by the same way you came. Take a different path, a different road. Okay, so two commands, really, right? So he left Bethel and went home another way. So he obeyed one of the commands. What happened along the way? 
Let's read. It's interesting. As it happened, there was an old prophet living in Bethel. And his sons came home and told him what the man of God had done in Bethel that day. They also told their father what the man had said to the king. The old prophet asked them, which way did he go? So they showed their father which road the man of God had taken. Quick, sell the donkey, the old man said. So they settled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. Then he rode after the man of God and found him sitting under a great tree. The old prophet asked him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Yes, I am, he replied. Then he said to the man of God, come home with me and eat some food. And so here's the man of God. What was he doing? Relaxing underneath a tree. He was probably happy with what he was able to do, right? Because he succeeded, right? Sometimes when you have great success in what you did, you kind of feel good. Sometimes when you feel good, you kind of relax, let your guards down, right? You become complacent, right? And so here's a man of God, a prophet. <laughs> he sits under the tree, happy with what he was able to accomplish. And he gets a visit from an old prophet, an old prophet. And this old prophet invites him to come over to his house to eat some food. And so what do you think this man of God, what do you think he would say to this old prophet? Let's find out. No, I cannot, he replied. I am not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place. For Yahuwah gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there. And do not return to Judah, but the same way you came. And so he repeated the command, which was twofold. Do not uh, return to Judah by the same way. He fulfilled that. And he fulfilled number the first one. Do not eat or drink anything while you are there. Okay. And so he told this old prophet, I cannot do as you requested, even though you are a prophet and an old prophet at that. Yes, I respect you. But this is the command of Yahuwah. But look at what the old prophet said. But the old prophet answered, I am a prophet too, just as you are. Right? And an angel gave me this command from Yahuwah. Bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. So here's the man of God who displayed power because of Yahuwah's help, right? And he was enticed to eat together with the old prophet because the old prophet told him, I'm a prophet too. And because I'm a prophet, this is what the angel told me. Uh, to bring you home with me so that you can have something to eat and drink. And so what did this man do? What do you think he did? Let's find out. Then while they were sitting at the table, a command from Yahuwah. Wait. Ah, verse 19. So they went back together, and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. I want you to think about this. Yahuwah gave him a clear command, Right? In terms of today, we can say it's written. It is written in the Bible. Clear command. Because a clear command is something that's written in the Bible, right? And so here's a prophet. Here's a, a man of God who has something basically he was told by Yahuwah. It's a clear message. Clear. And he gets a visit from someone who is an old prophet. And he says to him, you know, I got a message too. But what did the uh, prophet, what did the man of God fail to do? 
What did a man of God fear do? He did not test it. He did not double check. He did not consult with, you know, why? Maybe because he was complacent. Maybe because, well, after all, he is an old prophet. Right? He's an old prophet. I can trust him. And so he did not bother testing whether or not what this old prophet was saying is true. And so we ended up eating the prophet's food, the old prophet's food, right? What happened after that? Uh, oops, what happened after that? Then while they were sitting at the table, a command from Yahuwah came to the old prophet. So now Yahuwah speaks to the old prophet. He cried out to the man of God from Judah. This is what Yahuwah says. You have defied the word of Yahuwah and have disobeyed the command Yahuwah your God gave you. You came back to this place and ate and drank where he told you not to eat or drink because of this. Your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. So what happened to the man of God? Could he give the excuse to Yahuwah? But this prophet said, this prophet is your messenger, right? I believed in him because after all, he's your messenger. Did Yahuwah say, okay, I understand? No. The Bible says you have defied the word of God. You see, when we have something clear, which is a message of God, is clear, and we defy and we listen to someone else, tell us not to believe it, let's define the word of God. Do you know what message we have that is clear? The Bible. The Bible. The Bible is clear. Whatever is written in the Bible is from who? You know what? We should accept it. This is why when someone who claims to be a prophet tells us this and tells us that, you don't just believe it. You got to test it. How do we test it? We look at the Bible. Because if we will not test the Bible, the devil's going to come. And he will derail us. Just like what happened to this man of God. And so the man of God, you know, he became careless, right? He became careless and did not test what the old prophet said to him. He should have consulted Yahweh, but he did not do that. Today, we should consult the scripture. And if the scripture tells us this in plain letters, we should accept it and believe it. Do not say, oh, it was not taught by the other prophet. If it was taught in the Bible, if it's written in the Bible, believe it, accept it. We have to be careful, brethren, because we might end up rejecting the word of God because someone told us not to read it or someone told us not to believe it. Be careful. If it's written, it's from Yahuwah. Accept it, believe it, and obey it. And so what happened to this man of God? After the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him. And the man of God started off again. But as he was traveling along, a lion came out and killed him. His body lay there on the road with the donkey and lion standing beside it. People who passed by saw the body lying in the road and the lion standing beside it, and they went and reported it in Bethel, where the old prophet lived. So he, it wasn't a good ending. It wasn't a happy ending for the man of God. He started out well, the man of God, but he did not die well, which is true for Solomon, Jeroboam, and even the people of Israel, right? And when you think about it, what do they all have in common? What does Solomon, Jeroboam, the people of Israel, the man of God have in common? All of them, they became careless with the word of 
God, right? They all rejected the word of God. You see, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, eventually the devil is going to deceive us. And he will cause us to drop gradually our faith. This is why we have to be, what's the opposite of careless? Careful. So what is the root cause of carelessness? When do people usually become careless? When they become complacent. Look at Solomon. He had success. He had wealth. He had women. He became careless because he became complacent. Jeroboam, when he was appointed by the people, when he was given these promises, he took it for granted. He became careless. People of Israel, they were now, they now have Jeroboam who will do whatever they want, no more heavy taxes, no more heavy labor. Eventually, they became complacent. Man of God, after succeeding, he became complacent. Oftentimes, when we achieve success, we kind of lay our guards down. We say to ourselves, take it easy. There's no more problems. You become complacent. When a person becomes complacent, when a person begins to think there's no danger, what happens? The devil is going to attack. You see, when we are complacent, we become careless. I want you to keep that in mind. Complacency breeds carelessness. And oftentimes, when do people become complacent? When? When do people become complacent? In the book of Deuteronomy 8, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise Yahuwah your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget Yahuwah your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you to, to this day. You just say, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiply, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget Yahuwah, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So when do people typically become complacent? When everything's going smoothly, right? When everything's going well. When you have nice houses, when you have a new job, when everything's in peace. And so you begin to forget God. And what do you begin to focus on? Your prosperity, your abundance, your life here on earth, right? This is why the Feast of Tabernacles is a beautiful thing. What does the Feast of Tabernacles remind us about? You cannot be complacent. Because in the wilderness, you do not become complacent. When did the people of Israel become complacent? When they were in the promised land. In the wilderness, were they complacent? No, they were vigilant in the wilderness. Why? Because for everything they had to do, they had to depend on whom? Yahuwah. But when you become independent, right? When you plant your own vineyard, when you plant your own crops, when you live off the land with your own power and strength, you become complacent. You begin to think, I don't need God anymore, right? Isn't that what happened to Solomon? To Jeroboam, isn't that what happened to the people of Israel and to this man of God? Brethren, we have to be careful. The message of tabernacles reminds us to be careful and always what? Depend on Yahuwah. The moment we stop depending on Yahuwah, what happens? The devil has the chance, the opportunity. There are 365 days out of the year, right? If one of those days we don't depend on Yahuwah, guess what? That's an opportunity for the devil. Keep that in mind. Every day, we have to be careful. Every day, we have to depend on Yahuwah. What else is a message of tabernacles? 
in the book of First Peter, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. But also it's the message of the Feast of Tabernacles. It reminds us that we are pilgrims in this world. This is why when we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, we remember the 40 years wilderness journey to teach us our life here on earth is like that journey. If it's a journey, is it permanent? No, a journey is not permanent. Where you end up at after the journey, that's what's permanent. And so the message of tabernacles is to remind us that we are pilgrims in this world. That's message number two. What also is the message of tabernacles? Second Timothy 3, 1 down to 4. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Want to pause it for a while? The wilderness during the days of Israel. Was that a perilous place? Yeah. And when you are in a perilous place for you to survive, you have to really depend on a day-to-day -day basis on the one who provides you protection and guidance, right? Who is that? Yahuwah. If the wilderness journey was a perilous place or the perilous time, when is it all the more perilous? The last days. Apostle Paul says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Isn't that true? We live in a dangerous place. We live in a complicated, dangerous place. Do you know why we live in a very complicated and very dangerous place? It's because the people in this world are sinners. We are sinners. So we are broken people living in a broken world with a broken angel and his broken angels who work with him are wreaking havoc throughout the world. This is why we have perilous times. The devil knows he has a little time left. And so what is he doing? He's sabotaging life here on earth. And so what must we do? We must be vigilant, right? We must have our guards up, not have our guards down. This is why the Feast of Tabernacles also reminds us that life is like a wilderness. It's dangerous and complicated. Is that true? I mean, there are people who think, no, life is simple, right? And when you begin to think, oh, life is simple, you become complacent. This is why I don't agree, and I don't believe, and I think this is a dangerous concept. What Confucius said, life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. Think about that. If a person adopts this point of view, life is simple. What comes to mind? I want you to read this passage, read this, and I want you to conclude for yourself what it means. I want you to say to yourself what it actually means. Life is simple, but we insist on making it complicated. What does that tell you about life? Is life really simple? <laughs> life is not simple because of sin and because of the adversary. When you say life is simple, it's like saying, oh, there's no such thing as the devil. You don't need Yahuwah. Life is simple, by the way, right? But life is not simple. Life is complicated. Life is dangerous. Life is like a wilderness. That's the message of tabernacles. And because of this, what must we do? 
for those who believe life is not simple, right? What are we commanded to do? First Peter 5, 8 to 9, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Also, Peter tells us life is perilous. What makes life perilous? Why can we, why do we not say life is simple? Because there's a devil <laughs> roaming around. And so if one will start preaching and believing and teaching everyone life is simple, what will they do? They will keep their guards down, right? They begin to say, oh, okay, life is simple. I don't want to make things complicated. The Bible is not. Life, it is complicated. Because there's one complicating it. Who is he? The devil. Is the devil true? Yes. And so when people convince others, you know, there's no such thing as the devil. Humanity's problems is because of humanity's choices, which is true. But who's behind those negative choices? Oftentimes, it's the adversary. This is why after the adversary is removed, we're going to have a golden age, a thousand years. Because, of the because the influence of the adversary is removed. Then life becomes simple. You get it? But now the devil's here. Life is not simple. Do not believe that. You are in a wilderness. Perilous times. The devil is out to devour you. And you know what the devil wants you to believe? The devil's a playground. The devil is a... Life is a playground. Life is simple. So what happens? You take life at peace. You don't test the word of God. You don't look for the teachings of the Father. Because after all, life is simple. It's a good thing Apostle Peter is what we believe. We don't believe in what Confucius said. We believe what the Apostle Peter says. Apostle Peter says, stay alert. Watch out. There's a great enemy. Confucius doesn't believe in that great enemy. Confucius believes the great enemy is you, right? He doesn't believe that there's an adversary seeking to devour. But the Bible says we are in wilderness. The reason why the wilderness is so dangerous is because there's a roaring lion. Brethren, there's a roaring lion trying to devour us. You got to be careful. And so what must we do? Why should we be careful? Why should we not say, well, life is simple. Just do good. And, you know, life is going to be successful and all that. Let's read 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Isn't that true? There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. It's like a passage from Confucius. Life is simple, but we complicate things. Right? Brethren, life is difficult. This is why we need to make sure that we don't follow the road that leads to death. If life is simple, then why is this passage in, this, in the Bible? Because if life is simple, there's, there's going to be no road that looks like it's the right way, but it leads to death. If life is simple, what seems right to a man should be right. But no, life is complicated. <laughs> life is something we have to test. Messages we have to test. The Bible says what seems right to a man. You don't just say, oh, this, is, this seems right to me. It must be right. Very simple. No. If, even if it seems right to a man, we have to test it because the end could be what? Death. And so what is the ultimate message of the Feast of Tabernacles? in our walk here on earth. 
Let's read the final passage of our studies in the book of Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in Yahuwah with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear Yahuwah and turn away from evil. That's the advice we want you to take. Not the advice, you know, life is simple. Brethren, life is serious. Life is not some kind of game. Because what we do in this life determines the life, our future life. What we do in now determines what kind of life we're going to have in the age to come. Take it seriously. And to take it seriously means we live every day of our life trusting who? Yahuwah. This is what Yahuwah was teaching the people of Israel for 40 years and where? The wilderness. You see, the wilderness is a place they could not survive on their own. It teaches the hu human beings that you cannot survive on your own. You don't have the power to overcome on your own. But the message of humanism, the message of Confucius is you can. As human beings, the, the message of Confucius is humanism. But human beings have the power to create lasting peace on the world without the help of Yahuwah. That's dangerous. Will the, the Feast of Tabernacles teaches us, he takes us to the wilderness to teach us we cannot survive on our own. We must live our life trusting who? Yahuwah. We must live our life depending on Yahuwah. Out of 365 days in the year, if we put our guards down, even just one day, that's enough for us to be conquered and overcome by the enemy. So what, what must we do all the time? Bible says, do not depend on your own understanding. It's not that simple. Instead, seek his will in all that you do. That's what it means to trust. And that's the message of tabernacles. Every day, brethren, depend on Yahuwah. Trust in him by seeking the Holy Scriptures for his guidance so that we can follow his way. And his way is what will lead us into the promised land, our true home in heaven. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, merciful Yahuwah God, thank you so much for the blessings that you have given your people. You are so good and kind, protecting us. You want us to preserve our faith. Father, there's so many opposing messages in the world today that seek to undermine our faith, appearing to have wisdom, but underneath, it really takes away our dependence on you. But thank you, Father, for reminding us every day in our life, we must depend on you. We must seek your will. We must follow your teachings. Teach us to trust you. Help us to overcome the influence of the world, the influence of the adversary as human beings. It's easy for us to fall prey into the schemes of the adversary. We know our weaknesses. We are prone to sin. Father, we cannot possibly survive in this earth. We need your help. Yes. We need your guidance. We need your power. The devil is exceedingly clever. He is also cunning and powerful. Who are we to resist him? By faith, we resist him. By faith, we can overcome him. Not by our own human wisdom. Not by our own human strength. Father, every day, teach us to live the message of tabernacles. To trust you the way your ancient people 
relied on food that you gave day by day by day. You gave us the true living bread. Help us now to trust him at all times in our life. Our King Yahushua, we believe you are the living bread. And so we seek your wisdom, not human wisdom. We seek your spirit, not the spirit of this world. Our King Yahushua, guide us and guard us in our journey because we know we are but pilgrims. There's so much danger in the world today. Perilous times we live in because of the influence of the adversary. We need you, loving King. Protect us as our great shepherd. We are but your sheep that we can be easily overcome and devoured by the enemy. Help us to depend on you at all times, to be strong and faithful. Teach us not to rely on our own wisdom, not to rely on our own strength. Help us instead to believe you and to have faith in you. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers, for blessing your people throughout the world. We ask everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha Hamashiach. Amen.